last week because we have some church business to attend to in just a little bit. But uh, before we do that, I do want to share with you from God's Word. And so we're going to go to Matthew this morning, Matthew chapter 16, for just a few minutes. Matthew chapter 16. Today we're going to be discussing the church and Christ's words, I will build my church that we find here in this passage. So we're going to read this passage, Matthew 16. We're going to start at verse 13 and read down through verse 18. Matthew 16, starting at verse 13 through 18. The Bible says this, When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi and asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter. And upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We're going to stop there for today. Let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll take a few minutes to look at this passage together. Lord, we just need your help right now as we look into your word. Lord, we are weak and finite and frail people with limited minds and limited thinking, and yet you are the, fi- the, the infinite God with infinite knowledge, Lord, and you have all truth in your hand. And so I pray that you would guide us today. And as we look at this passage, Lord, help us to see what you want us to learn and help us to know how to apply it, to understand the work that you want to do in us as believers and in us as a church. And so, Lord, we just give you this time to do your work. Lord, use me now. May you work through me and speak through me. Fill me with your spirit, I pray. Give me your strength and your truth that we might be challenged by you today. And we thank you for what you're going to accomplish. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on exegesis of this passage. I want to focus on just one statement. But the scenario here is that Jesus comes to his disciples and he says, well, who, who do people say that I am? They've seen the miracles. They've heard my teaching. Who are people saying that I am? And he gets a variety of different answers. People think he's Elijah. People think he's Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And then Jesus says, okay, that's interesting, but who do you say I am? You've been with me. Who do you say I am? And Peter, the spokesman, the one who's ready always with an answer, and he's the one that told us to be ready with an answer. But he speaks up and he says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus, or, or Peter, recognized, recognized at this point exactly who Jesus was. Now, an interesting side story is that it's not long after this that Peter denies being with Christ and being associated with him. But here, he quotes, or, or he, he says, you are the Christ, the Son of God. He recognizes who Jesus Christ is, what his mission is, that he is the anointed from God. And Jesus, in answer to that, says these words, and they're famous words, but I think sometimes we miss the substance of them. He says, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it to thee, but my Father which is in heaven. 
It means Peter didn't recognize that fact by himself. It means God revealed it to Peter through Peter's submission to the truth. God revealed the truth to him, and he recognized Christ then as such. And then Jesus says this to him, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, there's a whole sermon in that phrase, thou art Peter. Peter's name comes from the Greek word Petra, or from the Hebrew word that is the word for rock, or actually pebble, little stone. Okay, that's what Peter's name is. But Jesus says, thou art the little rock. And then he says, upon this rock, the big rock, the boulder, the foundation stone, I will build my church. And the foundation stone is the truth that Peter just said. Thou art Christ, the son of the living God. So he's not saying I will build my church on Peter, as the Catholics like to quote. He's saying thou art a little stone, a little piece of what I'm going to be using to build. But the foundation stone is the truth that Jesus Christ is the son of God. He is the foundation of of everything, and especially here of the church. And he says, upon this rock, I will build my church. And if Jesus Christ builds the church, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, this morning in our meeting, we're going to be talking about our church and about the church structure, about the church function. But I want to start with this passage this morning and give us some truth to work from. And I have four quick points I'm going to share with you. Okay, in these words that Jesus gave us, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, as we understand the church, as we study in scripture, the church is not an organization. This is not a club that Jesus said he was going to start. It's not a company or a corporation that Jesus was talking about here. When he says, I will build my church, as you read through the epistles of Paul, Jesus was initiating an organism that was founded on his life. And that organism is called the church. Paul calls it a body. He makes this allusion to the body of Christ. Now, the church, we're studying the church in Acts, the beginning of the church in Bible study. And we've seen that the church, our purpose is to continue the ministry of Jesus Christ. But we also are to represent Jesus Christ because he's no longer here in person. So we are his body. We are the physical representation of Jesus to the earth now. That's what the church is. And as such, a body, we are not an organization, a club, a, a corporation, a business. We are an organism, a living, breathing being ordained and and created, put together by God, literally by Jesus Christ. Okay? So we need to understand that. The church is not an organization. It's an organism. And therefore, we have to look at it that way, first of all, and most importantly. Now, Paul, again, as I said, he uses this analogy in Romans 12. He says, so we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. In Ephesians 4, verse 4, he says, There is one body, one spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling. We are one body. And then in Colossians 3.15, again, Let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which ye are also called in one body, and be thankful. Okay, so that idea of being one body 
is all throughout the New Testament. And it's not one body as far as a corporation or a business. It's one body as far as being an organism. Living, working, breathing together, literally. That's what it, the idea is. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 13, the Bible tells us that when we're saved, we are baptized by the Holy Spirit into that one body of Christ. We are all members. We all have different gifts. We all have different members, but we're all one body. And so we have to keep that truth as the central focus of what the church is, one body of Christ represented on the earth. Okay? Now, even though the church has to conduct business. I mean, we have a building to take care of, we have bills to pay, we have things that have to be done, okay? So the church as a whole has to conduct business, but we are not a business. And therefore, the church should not be run or looked at as a business. It should not be functioning as a business. We are a body. That's the primary purpose. And so we have to keep that in mind. The business part of the church is a necessary evil that comes along with having facilities, with having things that have to be taken care of. Remember the early church. They didn't have buildings and all the stuff that we're encumbered with now. They just met wherever, but they fellowshiped and functioned and worshiped together as one body. doesn't mean they were without problems, but as we have become more, I guess, Western-focused, more, if you want to call it, civilized or whatever in our worship. We have church buildings. We have facilities that we have to take care of. We have programs, etc. And so there is business that has to be taken care of. But we're not a business, okay? And so that's point number one. We're a body, not a business. Number two, Jesus says, I will build my church. The church does not belong to us. The building does not belong to us. The pews, the hymn books, all of the facilities of the church do not belong to us. In fact, nothing we own belongs to us. It's all Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that he created all things and in him all all things consist. He owns it all. In Matthew, the the apostle tells us that uh, God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns everything. So it all belongs to him and that includes this church. So when we talk about our church, yes, we do belong to a local assembly, but we don't own it. God owns it. Literally, it, is, it belongs to Jesus Christ. It was given to him. The church is the people, not the building. And those people were given to Jesus Christ by the Father. In chapter 17 of John, Jesus is praying just before he is taken to be crucified. And in verse 24, he's talking about believers. In the first part of the chapter, he focuses on his disciples. But then he says, and all those others whom you're going to give to me. And in verse 24, he says this, Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. Jesus recognized that the church, people that will make up the church, were given to him by God. But it belongs to Jesus Christ. We belong to Jesus Christ. We are his workmanship, and we are his property. Now, that sounds demeaning, but remember, we're nothing but pieces of clay that God formed to use for his purpose. And God can use us however he decides. God can use this church however he decides. But it belongs to him. 
We can't, rem- can't forget that. And because it's his, Jesus says, I'm going to do the building of this church. We don't build the church. Jesus Christ does. Now, we can invite people. We can go out and pass out tracts and witness and ask people to trust the Lord. We can give them the truth. We can invite them to our services. But we don't build this church. This is God's work. And Jesus says, I will build my church. And when Jesus builds the church, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, I believe that there are many churches that the gates of hell have prevailed against because they're not Christ's church. They are the church of those people. It's what they want it to be. It is of their making. It is for their purpose. And they're not protected from the gates of hell. They made the church into a social club, a flea market, an entertainment venue. Some people even make the church as their means of salvation, which is not true. Christ is our only means of salvation. But if we make the church something other than what Christ defined it as, if we define it as our church, my church, instead of Christ's church, then we've opened ourselves up to the attacks of Satan and he has and will continue to destroy the church from within because of this very thing. We are only protected from the attacks of Satan when we approach the church, Christ's church, in God's way. When we approach our lives in God's way. Ephesians 6 tells, talks about putting on the armory of God that we may protect it against the wiles of the devil. That protection only comes if we ask God to protect us and we do it God's way. And the same is true for this church. This church will only continue to function as Christ's church as we do it Christ's way. We will only be protected from Satan prevailing against us if Christ is the centerpiece, if Christ's way is the mode of conduct for us. And when we depart from that, we've departed from his protection. So Jesus says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And Jesus says his church is where his people are to be built up, are to be edified. That's his purpose. That's why we come here. We don't come here to get something. We come here to give worship to God. But in the process, we are edified and built up. We are matured. In Ephesians 4, Paul says this, He gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Now, those are all the speaking gifts, okay? But he says, these are, verse 12 in Ephesians 4, for the perfecting of the saints. That means maturity. These teachers are for to help everyone in the church mature and grow together. So they are for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry. Not that these are the only people that do ministry. It's to mature people so that they can go and do ministry. That's the purpose. And for the edifying or the building up of the body of Christ. And he continues on till we all come in the unity of the faith. There's that unity I was talking about this morning around God's truth, and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And then he says that we should henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro 
carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Unfortunately, there are so many churches in our world today that are defined more by verse 14 than by verse 13 in that passage. They're not mature. They just do whatever they want. They are tossed about with every wind of doctrine. The next new thing that comes along, yeah, let's embrace that. Let's go that direction. And Christ has called us to one purpose. And that is to glorify him, to edify and build up each other as the church. But Jesus does that work. We're merely the tools that he uses to do it. Okay? In fact, in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says, Even so, as much as ye are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek that ye may excel to the edifying of the church. So when we gather together, our purpose is to glorify God. But in glorifying God and giving him worship and submitting to his word, we actually build each other up. And that's what God wants us to do. But we're just the tools. It's not about us. We build each other up. Why? So that we can better glorify Jesus Christ. Okay? So, it's Christ's church. He will build it his way, which brings us to a third point. That means Jesus Christ is the head. He's in charge. The pastor's not in charge. The chairman's not in charge. The board is not in charge. The congregation is not in charge. Jesus Christ is in charge of this church. He is the head. When we lose that point, when we lose that important point, that's when we go awry. Okay? We have to do things Jesus' way because he is the head of this church. He is the head of the church. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul says, And God hath put all things under his feet and gave him, talking about Jesus Christ, to be head over all things to the church, which is the body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. And in Ephesians 5, Paul uses the analogy of a husband as the husband loved his wife. That's uh, Paul says, the, the comparison is, husbands, you're supposed to love your wives the way Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. And he is the head of the church, just as the husband is the head of the family. Okay? So we have that picture. In Colossians 1.8, Paul also says he is the head of the body, the church. So we know that Jesus Christ is the one in charge. It's not anybody who stands up here or anybody even who's working behind the scenes Jesus is the head of this church because it's his church. And then that brings me to my final point. Because it's his church, because he will build his church, because he's the head of the church, our purpose is to exalt our head, to lift up the name of Jesus Christ. We have no other purpose to be here than to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. If we do, we might as well go home, okay? If we're here to get something out of church, if we're here to, to have bigger offerings, to build a bigger building, to have more people, that's not our purpose. Our purpose is to exalt Jesus Christ in everything that we do. Now, he's given us ways to do that in our personal lives and as functioning as the church. But Jesus Christ has to be the center. He has to be preeminent. In fact, in Colossians 1.18 says that in all things he might have the preeminence. So when we talk about our church, when we talk about worshiping, even the work days that we have, the fellowships that we have, we have one goal. Exalt Jesus Christ, to glorify his name. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul says that we should be to the praise of his glory. That's why God saved us. 
And that's why God put us into his church, so that we will be to the praise of his glory. And the way we accomplish that exaltation of our Lord is through obedience to him in our actions and reflecting his character in our character. And that includes as we function as the church. So Jesus Christ brought us all here together as a local representation of the body. Okay, We are the local representation of the body of Christ. We are the aliquippa version, if you will, okay, of the body of Christ. But we are here because we belong to him. He is the head, and he needs to be exalted in everything that we do. We cannot lose that focus. Now, that was probably the shortest sermon I'll ever preach in my life, okay? But, and I know Larry's back there, like, surprised, but... We're going to continue to talk about our church, okay, as we look over our constitution and bylaws in our congregational meeting. So we continue to learn scripture. We're not done by any means, but we have some things that we have to take care of. And so I said I would preach and probably try to be done by quarter of, and we're just about there. So I'm going to have a word of prayer. We're going to close this part of our service, and then I'm going to have Larry come up, and we're going to start our our congregational meeting as soon after as we can. Maybe we'll sing one verse of a hymn in transition, um, but we'll go right into that. So let's have a word of prayer together. Lord, thank you that you have given us uh, Jesus Christ as our Savior. Thank you that you brought us all together into his body as one body, that we can function together in unity. But Lord, help us not to forget that it is for your purpose, that we belong to you, and we're here to exalt you in everything that we do. So guide us in truth, Lord. I pray that we, you would help us to submit to your authority, to do things the way you want us to do them, so that we can be honoring to you in everything. We thank you again that you love us, and for the blessings you give us every day, and we praise you in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. As we get ready, I'm going to ask Larry, he can come and get his stuff ready, but let's sing uh, number 257. I'll ask the guys to come up real quick. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. 257.